Welcome to the Nurse Becoming Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Guarneri from the Resume Rx, and this is the podcast that's dedicated to empowering and encouraging nurses along your path of professional and self discovery. As a nurse practitioner, mom, and business owner, I'm on a mission to help you figure out how to leave your lasting impact on the world, all while bravely and fearlessly growing along the way. Join me for honest conversations and inspiring stories about personal and professional growth, all through the lens of nursing. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Nurse Becoming podcast. It's Amanda. I'm so happy to have you here today. And we are going to dive into, I don't know if it's really a juicy topic, but it's definitely a detailed and a meaty topic and one that I get lots of questions about all the time. And it seems to be foreign territory for a lot of folks, especially a lot of new nurse practitioners. So we are going to dive into the fun topic of employment benefits. And I know this may not sound like the most exciting topic, but trust me, your benefits are a huge thing to consider, right? Like we get a little bit more excited when we're talking about salary and negotiation, but I think that this topic of benefits is really adjacent to that because your benefits often result in additional funds in either your current paycheck or your future paycheck. So this is still money, but in a different form. So I strongly, strongly encourage you to always consider the benefits package in the context of your job offer. The salary number alone isn't enough to make an informed decision, in my opinion, because there can be some drastic additions, some drastic benefits to the benefits uh, in the entire compensation package. So in today's episode, we're going to first go over the different types of employment because this is definitely setting some context for the rest of the episode. And then we'll dive into the individual benefits that you can expect in a full compensation package. And when we get into those, we'll really be talking about some benefits that are quite specific to nurse practitioners. So there'll be some crossover between nursing benefits, but I want to address this from the lens of nurse practitioner employment. So let's start with the different types of employment. And I I think it's important to start here because honestly, there's a lot of confusion about the different types of employment. So the two main types of employment that I want to break down for you are W-2 and 1099 employment. Okay, so these are two different employment types. W-2 employment is what we'll talk about first, and this is true employment. This means if you are a W-2 employee, it means that you are an official employee of the company or the organization. You're subject to the typical employment laws, and the employer will typically withhold your payroll and your income taxes and your social security and Medicare and all that as withholding. And you will be issued a W-2 at the end of the tax year that you will file with your taxes. So this is the most common and traditional type of 
actual employment. If you get laid off, you usually qualify for unemployment benefits, this type of thing. Now, W-2 employment typically comes with benefits depending on how many hours you work and also based on your state employment laws. And it really is the most common type of employment you may be used to. And even as a W-2, you can have different types of schedules. So you could work per diem and be a W-2 employee. You can work part-time and be a W-2 employee or full-time. So the W-2 employment status doesn't necessarily refer to how often you work, but rather how you are designated with that company and whether they withhold your taxes and whether you're subject to the traditional employment laws. And then beyond that, your schedule is determined by your hours. So that's W-2 employment. And the other main type of employment, which I even hesitate to call employment because it's technically not, is 1099, also known as independent contractor status. So if you are working as a 1099 or an independent contractor, you're technically not an actual employee of the organization, but rather you are self-employed and serving as a contractor. So what this means is that you likely will not be eligible for any benefits because you don't have a typical employment agreement and you won't be bound by any contracts or even any hours guarantee. The company that you work for will pay you the gross amount of your pay, meaning you know your hourly rate multiplied by the number of hours you work will be the entire amount that you get paid. You just get cut this um check with the total amount. And then you, as the contractor, are responsible for setting aside your own taxes and paying them when they're due, which may be once a year with your tax return. Or if this is a long-term deal for you, you may be required to pay quarterly estimated taxes. And I'm not really going to get into the tax and accounting side of things because I am neither a tax expert nor an accountant. But just to give you some sort of perspective, Yes, it will be nice to see the total amount of of your rate of pay multiplied by your hours in your check, but it's really up to you to estimate how much you need to be putting aside for taxes, keeping in mind that there's also something called a self-employment tax on top of your typical taxes. So for that reason, 1099 hourly pay usually is or should be a little bit higher than W-2 hourly pay to make up for the fact that you will have an additional tax liability. So you will be issued by this company a 1099 form. That's why this is called a 1099 employee. So at the end of the tax year, you will get a form from them, a a 1099, usually a 1099-MISC, which stands for miscellaneous, and you file that with your taxes. And that's how you pay uh, your tax liabilities. So you're the employer or rather the organization or company you're working for, all they have to do is issue the 1099. They're not responsible for paying any of your payroll withholding or unemployment insurance or parental leave benefits or any of those other things that may be mandated by your state that W-2 employees get. This is not something that you will have itemized on your payment. So hopefully that clears things up. And and the reason why I wanted to start with this is because, especially lately, I've been seeing more and more nurse practitioner positions that are 1099 opportunities. So think about different types of contractor roles, 
temporary positions, health risk assessment jobs tend to be contractor status. So that's definitely a big question that you want to ask. Oftentimes it'll be right in the job posting if you're applying through a job posting, but otherwise when you're in conversation or in an interview or something, this is definitely an important question to ask. What type of employment is this? Is this contractor status or is this W-2 employment? So for the rest of the episode, let's talk about specific benefits. And as we do so, I'll be making some assumptions. We'll make some assumptions for the episode that we're talking about W-2 employment, because typically there are a few benefits that come with 1099 employment. You may get uh, malpractice insurance, maybe, but that might be the only thing. So we'll be talking about W-2 benefits. And an important thing to note is that it is normal to not always have an actual legal contract for NP employment. Sometimes you just have an employment agreement So regardless, you should really have all this information in writing. So even if you just have a one-page employment agreement, there should still be something like an employee handbook that outlines the remainder of these benefits that we'll be going over. If you do get a legal agreement, like a contract, these usually will be included inside the multi-page contract. So both of these situations are normal, but you just want to make sure, regardless of which situation you're in, all these benefits are outlined somewhere in writing. So let's dive into what the most common benefits are for nurse practitioners, as well as kind of what the industry standard is, what you can expect to see in a job offer. We already talked about type of employment and and compensation and salary. I think that goes without saying that that's not really for the context of this episode because we'll be talking about benefits, but that obviously should be addressed somewhere in your employment agreement. So let's first talk about time off. And I'm really talking about paid time off in this situation. And depending on the employer, this might be an entire bank that you use for sick time and vacation and personal time. Other places may separate this out. So sometimes if you are a salaried exempt employee, there might not even be a bank of sick time. You may be expected to make up lost hours, or there may be just kind of this expectation that when you're sick, you're sick and you don't have to make it up. So that is something to clarify when you're reviewing your time off benefits. So let's talk about vacation time or paid time off for you know, personal reasons. What I see typically is between three to six work weeks of vacation time. So a work week is going to be dependent on the hours of your employment. So if you're a 40 hour work week, then you're at three work weeks would be 40 hours times three. And usually that's done either in days or hours. And if it's in days, it's going to be your typical work day. So if you're a 40 hour per week employee, then your typical work day is eight days. So then five days would be a week for the purposes of PTO. So if they give you 15 days of PTO, that's three work weeks because that's five days per week times three. So three to six work weeks is pretty standard. I know that's pretty big variation, uh, but keep that in mind when you're reviewing your, your contracts and your employment agreements. And then in terms of Holidays, five to 10 paid holidays is standard. Next, you'll be looking at health benefits. So it is very common to include health benefits. However, if an employer has fewer than 50 
5-0 employees, it's actually not required to include health benefits. So keep that in mind if you are considering smaller practices, that if there are fewer than 50 employees, you may not actually have health benefits as an included benefit. So that would be a conversation that you want to have and see you know, this could be a negotiation point. If their company doesn't offer health benefits, can they offer either an increased rate of pay or some sort of stipend that you can use for purchasing health benefits through the marketplace or to offset the cost through your your partner or your spouse? Retirement benefits are another thing to keep in mind and keep an eye out for. And it is very common to have either a 401k or a 403b option. Those are the employer-sponsored retirement plans. And What I want you to look for here is if they have any sort of profit sharing or matching structure, because what that means is that it's free money, right? So if all they have is a 401k option, that's great. That means that you as the employee have the option to put money aside into this plan and the money that you put aside lowers your taxable income. So there's a benefit there and and you get your money back when you retire, right? But it's your money that you're putting aside. However, if there is a match, meaning let's say your employer says, if you put in 5% of your salary to the 401k, we'll also put it 5%. That's free money. So that's a great benefit. And I've especially seen this be really fantastic with academic medical centers. They tend to have really great retirement plans and matching structures, as well as working for you know state or government agencies. So that is something to keep in mind and to look out for. Hello, this episode of Nurse Becoming is brought to you by the inaugural NP Society virtual conference. You may know that I founded the NP Society earlier in 2021 as a place for nurse practitioners to learn and come together in community and support one another beyond the clinical setting. And I'm very excited that we're putting on our first virtual conference. So this is happening in October, on October 15th and 16th. It's a live virtual conference. And yes, there will be replays available. So if you can't attend live, I still want you to listen in. This is going to be, I'm just really super excited. This is the first time I've done anything like this. And I'll tell you, we have six amazing guest speakers who are presenting on different topics. Yes, this conference has been submitted for approval for continuing education credits through AANP, which is awesome. Everyone needs CE credits, right? And the best part is you don't have to be an NP Society member to attend the conference. We, of course, would love you to be a member of the NP Society, but it's okay if you're not. I will say that if you are, though, you'll be invited to the members-only exclusive social event on Friday night with a very special guest known as Katie Duke. So you will be given the opportunity when you sign up for the conference to also sign up for the NP Society if you're not already a member. So I really hope that you will check out the conference page, check out the topics, see if this is something that you would like to attend. You know how I do things. This is not your mama's professional conference, and I really, really hope to see you there. So go ahead to the show notes of this episode. You'll see the link there. Or if you're listening and you want something that's easy to remember, you can go to theresumerx.com slash 
conference and I'll make sure that all the information is there for you to learn more and register once registration is open. Again, the NP Society virtual conference is happening Friday, October 15th and Saturday, October 16th. We are submitted for up to seven hours of continuing education credits through American Academy of Nurse Practitioners. And I really hope that we will see you there, okay? Head to the resumerx.com slash conference for all the information. So next you wanna look and see if there are any productivity structures or bonuses. These are fairly common for nurse practitioners and what you'll be looking for is what that benefit looks like. So maybe there's a quarterly benefit if you meet a certain RVU number or you have a certain average number of patients per day, but that can be a really nice opportunity for you to earn above and beyond your base salary if the productivity expectation is reasonable and reachable, which is definitely something to ask if you're not sure if this is your first NP job and you want to know if it's likely that you'll reach the bonus, then you can ask them about the other providers and how often the other providers get their bonuses. So next, let's talk about CME money and CME time off. And that stands for continuing medical education. And I will say that most nurse practitioner positions do offer this. Typically, you can expect between one and two work weeks of additional paid time off to be used for CME. And some places will require you to to give proof that that's what you're doing. Other places, this is just kind of this bonus bank of paid time off that you're expected to use for continuing education. And there's often funds associated with that. So for full-time employees, anywhere between $1,000 to $3,000 per year is fairly standard for continuing education money. And how this usually works is that if you go to a conference or you participate in a course or you have a professional membership, you will pay for it yourself and then submit the receipt to your employer for reimbursement through whatever their process is. They'll likely have some sort of form or approval process where you have to submit you know, the continuing thing that you did, you submit it for approval, and then they'll include the reimbursement in one of your upcoming paychecks. And then things like license reimbursement, your state license, your DEA, uh, those types of things, it is pretty standard for those things to be included as you are employed by the organization. So let's say you start a job and, you know, in a year or two, you're up for relicensure in your state or your DEA needs renewal, oftentimes that will be something that your employer will pay for. Sometimes it's bundled into the CME fund, so that's something to clarify if it's separate or if it's included uh, or even if it's included at all. But in my experience, most employers have included license reimbursement as a standard benefit. And let's see, that's pretty much all I have in terms of the very, very standard benefits to look for. And there are a couple other things as we're talking about benefits and kind of contract details that I just want to point out to you and make you aware of so that you are knowing what to look for in employment agreements. And the first thing is the term and termination clause or or situation. Now, this will typically be 
in a legal contract. So there should be a whole section that's titled term and termination. And what that means is it determines the length of the contract. That's the term. And what standard is usually between one and three years which doesn't mean that after that period of time, you no longer have a job, but it means that it's the term of the contract that you're signing. So it may mean if you sign a three-year contract that you may not be eligible for an increased rate of pay until after those three years, unless in the compensation section, it outlines what your rate of pay increase will be every year. Okay, so just keep in mind, If there's no notes in the contract about any of your benefits or your pay changing over time, then that will be your situation for the length of the contract, the term of the contract. The other point of this is termination, and that means how can you get out of this contract? How can the contract end? So there'll usually be a note about termination on the employer side and on the employee side. Most people are usually concerned about, on the employee side, how can I get out of this contract? And I will say that 60 days is pretty much standard and professional courtesy for nurse practitioners. We're not really the type of role where it's appropriate to give two weeks notice. This is really the type of thing where 60 days is professional standard. So I would recommend looking at that termination clause, seeing what they require of you. If there's something like six months notice for you to terminate the contract, that's a little bit unreasonable. So that may be something that you want to negotiate or or reconsider. And you also want to see if there are any penalties for termination of the contract outside of what of what it says you can do. So For example, hopefully there's not a clause that says, you know, that the term of the contract is three years and termination of the contract before then results in a $20,000 repayment penalty. So you definitely want to read all these details. I have heard of some kind of nightmare situations of people being told once they gave their notice that they owed the employer, you know, a large sum of money to cover their credentialing. Uh, and and if that was outlined in your contract and you signed that, then yes, you're going to be on the hook for that. But as long as you read over this contract in advance and make sure you're not signing things that you're not comfortable with, then hopefully you won't find yourself in that situation. And the other thing that comes along with this is the non-compete clause. It is fairly common these days to have some sort of non-compete clause. I think two years is fair for the length of the non-compete, but the radius. So the non-compete clause will basically say you cannot work in whatever setting within X number of miles for X number of years. That's what a non-compete clause usually says. And in terms of the length, two years is not completely unreasonable, but the radius really should depend on the state that you're in and the population density. Because, you know, a mile in New York City is going to be different than a mile in rural Oklahoma, right? So you really need to consider, okay, if I don't have this job anymore and I want to look for another job, how far geographically am I going to be looking without having to move? And are there still opportunities for me outside of what my non-compete clause says? So 
that's kind of how you determine whether this is a fair or non-compete clause. If if the radius basically obliterates any place that you could commute to, and it's very general and says that you can't work in any healthcare setting, then that's too restrictive and you need to address that. Whereas if it says, if you're working in a narrow specialty and it says you cannot work for any other infectious disease practices within five miles for two years, and you live in a place where there are plenty of places to work within, you know, beyond five miles, then it's not going to be completely unreasonable. So those are the things that you want to keep an eye out for and and really read carefully so that you don't end up getting yourself in a situation that you that you are regretting. So to recap, let's again recap W-2 and 1099 employment because you really should understand how different these two things are. So remember the W-2 employment is the most common. It's going to come with benefits. They're going to withhold your taxes. It's the more traditional type of employment, whereas 1099, you're technically a contractor. You likely won't have any benefits and you need to file your own taxes on a regular basis. And in terms of benefits, you should expect to have some sort of paid time off or vacation time, health benefits, ideally, or maybe a stipend or increased rate of pay to make up for if the employer doesn't offer health benefits. Retirement account, you should at least have a 401k or 403b option, and ideally something like a match or a profit sharing situation, which is free extra money. You want to look for those productivity bonuses. Not every place has them, but when they do, it's certainly uh, nice because it increases that rate of pay. It increases that money in your pocket. And then CME time off, CME funds, and license reimbursement. Those are all things that you want to look out for that you should expect. And again, the other points of a contract that you want to keep an eye out for and make sure that you are reading carefully before you sign would be the term and termination clause, which determines the length of the contract, as well as how you can get out of the contract, as well as the non-compete clause. At the end of your contract, if either you quit or you're fired or terminated or laid off, what type of restrictions do you have for where you can work next? And to be honest, you know, this is not legal advice, of course, I am not an attorney. Non-compete clauses are very difficult to enforce in many states. There are some states where they're completely unenforceable, but that said, you should still know what you're signing and and be generally in agreement to what you're signing before you make a commitment. So, hopefully this has been helpful to you. Let me know what other questions you have about contracts and benefits and, you know, some other parts that maybe we didn't cover because there are certainly so many other benefits that you could be getting that we could be talking about that are just a little bit too granular to get into on the podcast. But I would love to hear from you. I would love to hear any big takeaways. So feel free to take a screenshot or DM me or tag me on Instagram at the resume RX. And until next time, I hope you have a wonderful week and I'll see you again next week. Well, that does it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and making it all the way to the end. If you found today's episode helpful, would you take a minute and give me a rating or review on Apple Podcasts? It will truly help other nurses find this show and know that it's worth listening to. For more information about this episode, as well as a place to submit your questions or suggestions for future episodes or guests, head to nursebecoming.com. 
I cannot wait to connect with you again soon. And until next time, remember, I am always rooting for you.